Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible for Beginners. This is episode two. As we uh, get into actually reading the Bible itself, this is uh, dipping our toe into the Gospels. Last time, and you can listen to the last recording um, if you'd like, but uh, we spent a little bit of time just thinking about how you read this book, the Bible, and uh, and reminded ourselves that it's, that it's actually not a book. Um, it is the most... Um, the best best selling book of all time, but it's not really a, a book. It's a, as we talked about last time. It's a library. And it's a small library filled with sixty six different writings, and and so it's important that when we uh, want to read the Bible and understand the Bible and apply the Bible to our lives and allow the Bible to affect us and and transform us, that um, that as we lean into it and open its pages to read it, that we know how to read it, and um, because because the, the the Bible is a powerful book and uh, a a selection of books, a a library of books, and and it's a dangerous one. Um, And I say that because, as we know, the Bible has been used powerfully since it was written, um, and it's been used powerfully to transform lives and for good and to really help people to connect with God and themselves and others in ways that give them hope and life and and the promise of, of resurrection in this life and the next. But it's also been used um, as uh, as a tool, as as a bit of a weapon to uh, maintain order. Uh, as the Bible was kind of adopted into the hands of, of leaders, it was used to, um, as uh, as Mark said, as as an opiate for the masses. Right? You just just read the Bible and do what it says, and and, and the Bible says that uh, that I should be king, or that you know you should you should have the station of life that you have, or the Bible's been used to justify things as awful as slavery or misogyny and all sorts of things. That's because the Bible was written at certain times, in certain contexts, for certain cultures, and and it's important for us to understand that. And so um, this this week, uh, just in this last week, as I as I record this in early June, some of the um, the images that have been shared in social media and the news and such of, of the Bible have been striking. Our, our president made his way across Lafayette Park where there were protesters in the midst and the aftermath of the George Floyd and, and multiple other um, killings of, um, of brown and black people, men and women at the hands of, of authorities and police officers in the United States. There were sit-ins and pro- protests going on in front of the White House and the president had that area cleared with, with um, rubber bullets and, and push the protesters away so that he could walk over with some of his key advisors and, and hold up a Bible in front of um, St. John's Episcopal Church. Apparently the church didn't know he was going to do that and um, didn't open the Bible, didn't read it, just kind of held it up. And there were some pictures that were taken. Then he made his way back to the, to the White House. Um, really interesting. You look at those images and there's just a lot that can be said about them. I encourage you to take a look at those. And then another image that got shared that I saw was an image of, uh, of George Floyd, who was the man who was killed, who's, who was leaned on by four or five police officers and, and was is killed. Um, one one police officer with his knee on his on his neck until he died uh, for for a twenty for perhaps a, um, you know forging a twenty dollar bill. Um, the um, the pictures of George Floyd as he was a, a younger man in in Houston in in an impoverished area of Houston where he lived and grew up and and he had had some some struggles in life for sure but he had found really faith and hope and purpose in Christ and and the scriptures and he got very involved through that with a ministry in Houston and he was a mentor for young men he was a basketball player and, and they used basketball to kind of bring people together and give them purpose and, and help some of these young men in that area and it's the baptism of a friend of his that there was a party and they had the 
baptism outside and and there's George Floyd with his friends kind of arm in arm smiling and he's holding up a Bible. And, and um, so you see how the Bible can be recognized just in these two images shared on social media this week as a as kind of a representative um, tool for, for two different understandings of truth and power and transformation. And so I just, I'll leave that there. But um, it's an important book for us to read and to understand because it is so often just kind of held up or quoted piecemeal from here or there. Or it's held up as a symbol when it's not. It's, it's a library filled with very complex, interesting, confusing at times, different passages, uh, psalms, um, history books, right? Prophetic books, um, and, uh, and they all need to be read and understood differently. And as we read them together, um, and as we study the scriptures, it's really helpful to, to study them with other kind of like genre books within the Bible. Um, so within the Bible, you've got different history books from the Old Testament. It's kind of good to kind of read those together if you're trying to understand and draw the most truth and, and uh, perspective as you can from them. And then when it comes to the New Testament, you've got epistles, um, and you've got a Gospels, and the Gospels are is where we're going to start. Uh, the Gospels are basically the biography of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one of the things that I um, think is interesting about the, the, the way and how and when the Gospels were written, the first kind of explanations of who Jesus was from those who, who were there, um, is that they're not the first uh, chronologically, if we were studying the Bible, we were diving into this library in a chronological order. You know, clearly we could start with with uh, Genesis or, or perhaps Job, which might be the, some of the oldest literature in the Bible. Um, but um, but even if we get to the New Testament, the earliest writings we believe, um, kind of chronologically in the New Testament, are not the Gospels, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in fact the writings of Paul, the the Apostle Paul, who actually, as far as we know, didn't know. Jesus when he was on earth, he was, Paul was studying to become a Pharisee, a, a teacher, a scholar, a, very serious about his relationship with God as a Jewish man. But he had a transformative relationship with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and the, it was the resurrected Christ. It was the Christ who had died and been resurrected and came to Paul and said, hey, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had this conversion, and he went on and, you know, wrote prolifically and traveled the world and the known part of the world at that point, and wrote letters to the different small groups, small churches that had started in different parts of the, of the uh, empire, the Roman Empire, and um, and those were like First Thessalonians, Galatians, Philemon, we'll, we'll get into that later, but the very first oldest uh, books in the New Testament in terms of when they were written were some of the earliest writings by Paul who didn't knew Je- know Jesus or isn't writing a firsthand account of Jesus. He's writing about the resurrected Christ. The, the Gospels are writing about um, about Jesus uh, and his life on earth and, and, and quotes from him that were passed on and researched. And, uh, and those are, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and that when you think about that, the way they're ordered in the Bible, they're not necessarily even ordered chronologically in the Bible because we believe now uh, that Mark was the first uh, of those scriptures, uh, first of those apostles, uh, uh, apostles, gospels written uh, by one of the apostles, and uh, and that Matthew and Luke came after that, and then finally, finally John. And so we're gonna we're gonna start in just a little bit here. We're gonna get a little bit more into Mark, and then we'll go on from there. Um, but the but the gospels were not the first writings, but they are the ones that are centered on Jesus and telling his story, introducing God, uh, the incarnate God in Christ. If you've ever been to a um, an older church um, that's got woodwork or carving or an Orthodox church, Catholic church, um, 
and or or if you look in a stained glass window, sometimes you'll see these images of a of a lion and a man and a bull and, and an eagle. And those are the symbols from early on in the first, second century, third century of the of the Christian tradition that were assigned, these were animals that were assigned to the different gospel writers. Mark is a lion, and Luke is uh, is a bull, and John is an eagle, and uh, and Matthew is man. Um, and and the, the early church got this from this, um, the, the idea of this is, is called a tetramorph, and so tetra means, you know, four, and morph is, is shape. Um, that the that the gospels were depicted in a tetramorphic um, way. That each gospel spoke in different ways, had different kind of characteristics, and even kind of were assigned these spirit animals that went along with them. And so you see that in the windows, stained glass windows, in the tradition of the early church. But it just reminds you, and I think it's really cool. But it just reminds us that from the very beginning, right? Our God is a trinitarian God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Um, that our God comes to us in, in, in kind of three different powerful ways. Uh, but also when we learn about the, the fullest revelation of who God is for us as Christians in Jesus Christ, we don't just get one story, right? It's, it's a tetramorph. We, we get four different perspectives over the course of 30 or maybe 40 years told by different people from different times, different perspectives, so that our understanding of the Word of God and, and even our understanding of God and Christ it, it's it's a it's a dialogue. It, it's it's a conversation. It's different perspectives, and there's something beautiful about that, and that we need to continue to remember that as we read the Bible, as we grow in our faith, that it's always about different perspectives, helping helping us to understand God from a from a different angle, um, allowing different voices into the conversation. It really wasn't until almost the the fourth century, three sixty seven, is actually the first time in the year three sixty seven that 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 all of the books of the of the Bible. Uh, that we know in the New Testament were were put in in an ordered list. So early on, some people you know kind of left Mark out because they didn't think Mark they thought it was the last gospel written. They didn't think it was that good. It was the shortest. Um, but in 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 three sixty seven, Athanasius, who was an African a church father from from Alexandria, northern Africa, wrote in his Easter letter, uh, and he contained all the books in the New Testament, and he and he contained Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so it took a while, uh, but those gospels were recognized as four different, but all good and valid perspectives, and informed by the Spirit of God to introduce us to Jesus and who Jesus was. Um, so that the, the even those four gospels, however, uh, they are. Um, there's there's kind of differentiation between them. There's three of them that are fairly similar, and one of them that's kind of kind of different. Um, and the three that are similar are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels. So syn means uh, s y n is together, and, and optic is seeing. So you just kind of see them together. And the three synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and uh, and we believe that Mark was written first, and uh, and that the first. Um, uh, Gospel was probably penned in somewhere the year the year sixty sixty five somewhere in there, uh, and that after that Matthew is written and then Luke was written. Matthew contains about ninety one percent of Mark, and so almost all of Mark is contained within Matthew. But then there's some other other things. It's not there's some things that are in Mark that aren't in Matthew, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, and then Luke contains about fifty three percent, fifty three percent of of Mark, and so between Ma- Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get the synoptic gospels that are very very similar, 
And, but we also believe, scholars, biblical scholars, believe that they're, all three of them probably drew from a different source that no longer exists, or at least we haven't found it yet. And that's called the source, or the, the, the German word for source starts with a Q, and I would butcher it if I said it. But so they call it Q, or the source. And, and this mysterious source, this mysterious scroll of sayings or whatever of Jesus, they believe informed the rest of the contents of the Gospels. And so Mark is the shortest. It's the quickest um, Matthew kind of takes a lot of Mark wholesale and then adds some things to it. Um, Luke takes uh, a number of things um, from from Mark and then adds other things to it. And we believe a lot of what was added to all three was this this mysterious Q source that would be fun someday if it got on Earth, wouldn't it? Um, the Gospel of John is different. So you got the Synoptic Gospels and you got the Gospel of John. In fact, um, the uh, in, in, the, in the study of the Gospels, Johannine scholars are kind of singled out. They, they, it's a different kind of Gospel. Uh, and Johannine scholars just study the Gospel of John itself uh, because it's more poetic. Uh, it's got different imagery. It's got a different, kind of almost a different um, uh, theology, a higher, a much higher Christology. We'll get into that in a little bit what Christology means, but it's a high Christology, high view of Christ. And, it, and, J- and John kind of meshes the old Jewish stories, understanding, especially in creation, um, with, with a new Christian narrative centered on Christ. Uh, and, and the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this, we'll get a little bit more into John later, is that I just, the beginning of the Gospel of John, to me, kind of um, is, a, is a summary uh, of, of, the, of the, the essence of what the Gospels are, and really what our whole understanding of, of the Scriptures are and um, how they form our life. But the beginning, the very beginning of the Gospel of John is kind of this famous, it's an arcane he ho logos, an arcane he ho logos. That's the, that's the Greek. And logos, you might recognize that word. We translate that as in the beginning was the word, right? So it's John starting off like from the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning um, God created. In John's Gospel, it's in the beginning was the word, and he uses logos. And it's kind of sad that in our English we use the word we use the word word to translate logos because really um, it's not it's not sufficient. Logos is much more of a dynamic word. And it's it's a more of a verb a verb than it is a noun. And so some people will translate this, and in Spanish it's translated in the beginning was the verb. Um, and in uh, and, and and in my personal translation, I like to think of this as in the beginning was the conversation. In the beginning was this conversation between God and, and Jesus and the Spirit and, and, and informing the earth. And that conversation continues. It's generative. The different perspectives and the different energy uh, that, that is brought into a conversation is, is generative. And we want to remember that as we study the scriptures, we study the gospels. So let's talk about John for just a little bit and then we'll, we'll end. I'm sorry. Let's talk about Mark. Uh, and I said that because his name is actually... Traditionally, they thought who, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark was named John Mark. The traditional understanding is that uh, uh, that the Gospel of Mark was written by this guy who was found, that he's first mentioned in Acts chapter 12. His name is John Mark, and he was a disciple or a friend of Peter's. And when we get into Acts, we'll talk about that more. But he followed along with Peter, and then he kind of shifted, and he began to follow Paul and Barnabas in, in, the, in the book of, of Acts until they had kind of have a falling out. Um most scholars today believe probably not. The gospel itself doesn't attribute itself to anybody. It's an anonymous gospel. It doesn't start off saying this is written by by Mark. That was imposed later. And most scholars think today that this is what's called pseudepigraphal. It was written under someone else's name. Um, 
it's to give it more authority. And so if we can find someone in the Bible, like John Mark, who's mentioned in Acts a few times, and if we can say, hey, this gospel is written by him, that gives it more authority. Either way, it, I don't know that it really matters a whole lot. Someone in the first century compiled this bunch of different quotes and ideas and thoughts and, and put together a pretty cool uh, first gospel called the Gospel of Mark. Most people believe that it was probably written from Rome, somewhere again around the year 60, 65. And some people have postulated that maybe it was in uh, response to the persecution of, of Christians that was happening in Rome at that time and the famous you know fire when Rome was, was, was burned. Um, in 64, that maybe Mark was writing in the midst of that, but writing to uh, this large, growing, growing church, I should say, I don't know how large it was, in Rome at that time, uh, because he does talk a lot about persecution and struggle, and, um, you know, it is a it is a real earthy gospel. It moves along. Um, so what is special about Mark? I want to just mention a few things, and we'll read a passage from it, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll close. Um, the things that are different about Mark and, and the other Gospels is that um, Mark, uh, in in the the Jesus in Mark, is seems to consistently be saying, "Hey, um, as as people are healed or or he does something miraculous, or people recognize, hey, you're the Messiah." He always says, "Don't tell anybody," or like, "Shh," and like keep it on the DL. And it's a little bit, yeah, it's a, there's a bit of a debate as to why that was, but um, it's this idea that the, that the gospel is something that has to kind of be sewn in. Jesus' identity and his divinity is something that kind of gets sewn into the earth and your own experience, and you don't need to go blabbing about it right away. Uh, it it kind of, over time, it, it grows and it deepens and it makes itself real in new ways. So the messianic secret is one of the things about Mark. And, and I would really encourage you to pick up your Bible and read Mark. It's not that hard. You could read it in one sitting. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Read it in a couple sittings easily. But look for this, this uh, theme of the messianic secret uh, throughout Mark. Another thing to look for, and as I mentioned already, is suffering. That suffering is something that happens um, in Jesus's, uh, Mark's Jesus. He is a suffering savior. And in fact, you know, Mark kind of brings up that passage from, there's a famous passage from Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah talks about the suffering servant. And uh, and Mark kind of adopts that, that Jesus was, the way that Jesus kind of saved and redeemed. And and the lesson that he taught was that it's not easy. It's not an easy road if you follow Jesus. It's a, it's a road of, of struggling, of hardship and persecution. So it's it's a good gospel for people who are struggling, because that's where God finds Himself in Christ. That's where that's where um, people can expect that their life is gonna is gonna know some some suffering if you follow Jesus. Um, Mark also speaks a lot about Jesus as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He doesn't talk about Jesus as God. Um, of the four Gospels. Mark has the lowest Christology, which means his understanding of his theology of who Jesus was is not explicitly that Jesus was God, um, but it's more that Jesus was uh, was the anointed Messiah, was a, was a man well acquainted with suffering that God used in mighty ways. Um, but he uses this term, the Son of Man and the Son of God, which he adopts from from Old Testament texts like Ezekiel two or Psalm two, and and uh, he kind of adopts and transforms that. And and we're and it's a little bit confusing to be honest. Most biblical scholars aren't quite sure exactly what Mark is doing here, but he does refer to Jesus most often as the Son of Man, and then uh, and then after that the Son of the Son of God. Um, there is in Mark's understanding of uh, the gospel a lot of misunderstanding that happens as he tells his stories. Uh, Jesus spoke in parables, and and Mark seems to say that there was intentional that the parables were a bit ambiguous. And once again, they're things that kind of have to soak into you, and you have to wrestle with before they become real. Um, the disciples in John's gospel or in Mark's gospel they don't get it. 
His Jesus' family doesn't get it. His brothers, his, his mothers uh, d- doesn't get it. Um, and eventually, they, a lot of the disciples desert Jesus. And in Mark's telling of it, it's basically what it seems like he's saying is that what's most important about being a follower of Jesus, right? And so this is maybe 30-some years after Christ's death. Mark is writing that the, that following the ways of Jesus, what Jesus taught, right, and what the resurrected Christ continues to teach us, that is more important in terms of who you are in the kingdom of God than the fact that you might have been a disciple or an apostle or the fact that you were a brother or sister of Jesus. So proximity and blood, that's all nice, but actually what's most important is if you are living your life in such a way that you're trying to follow the teachings of Jesus. And so as the as the early church was trying to find its way and establish a new generation of leaders, Mark was kind of affirming that fact that you didn't have to be Jesus' brother like James was, or you didn't have to be uh, one of the disciples to be a leader or to be uh, esteemed as a, as, a, as a faithful follower of Christ. Um, and then finally, um, this... Uh, Mark kind of introduces this idea of the, the kingdom of God um, and what is this kingdom of God? And there's, again, a little bit of confusion. Is it, is it this something that's to come uh, that we're looking forward to with the coming of Christ? Or, uh, or is this something that's happening right now and that should be happening that we should be expecting? And, and Mark seems to be a little bit of both and. Um, and, and so what I want us to do is just to, to end with um, reading a couple of passages from, from Mark. And uh, the first is just from the very beginning of, of Mark. I'm going to just open my Bible here to Mark chapter 1. And uh, in the very beginning of Mark's gospel, it says, the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Mark is the beginning of the good news. Good news, that word is, is gospel, the euangelion in, in, in Greek. But the gospel is the good news. This is the beginning of the good news, that the coming of God in Christ was a new kind of beginning um, and is good news, uh, but it is only the beginning. And it continues as Christ works his way, the spirit of Christ works his way, God's love works its way into your life through suffering, through struggle, um, uh, that you begin to uh, know and experience the the work of God and the fruit of Christ in in your life. So the beginning of the good news is how Mark's gospel starts. And then I just want to end with reading a passage from Mark chapter eight, starting in verse uh, twenty three. This is one of the one of the healing stories that Jesus tells that the other gospels don't. This is Jesus healing a blind man at Bethesda. Um, now they came to Bethesda, which is an area of around Jerusalem, and some people brought a blind man. And begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. I think it's kind of interesting. And when he spit on the man's eyes, it says that, Jesus spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Then once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home and said, don't, don't go into the village. So again, you've kind of got this mysterious Jesus and this uh, a very earthy, um, tactile Jesus, a very grounded man who connects with other people, other humans who are struggling, especially those kind of who would be marginalized or left aside or maybe overlooked or ignored or maybe even seen as cursed in that first century. 
and, and Jesus goes to this blind man, and, and, and this is the only um, time in the Gospels where Jesus has to touch somebody twice to heal them. And he uses spittle, and he touches him with his hands, right? Probably not in the days of COVID, we wouldn't do this. But it just kind of grounds Jesus in a, in a very, very basic way, connecting to the suffering of this man, and then it takes time. That the first time you might not get there, but after you take another step and you, and you, and you, you touch Jesus again or he touches you, um, you start to see things more clearly. And it says, uh, when his sight was restored, he saw everything clearly. Friends, that's the end of uh, episode two. I pray that all of us, as we continue to live and learn and suffer, would learn to see God a little more clearly. Take good care.